Good morning. It's Real Estate Daily, and I am your real estate guru. And here we go for another fantastic day in real estate where we're going to be talking about negotiation skills for the broker. When you're negotiating a house for your buyer, what is on the table? I mean, we have some things that aren't on the table anymore, and we have things that are old fashioned, maybe, but still work. What, what can you use in this seller's market to still negotiate? What kind of tools are out there that can turn the key for you to get an accepted offer for your buyer? That's what we're talking about. By the way, I would love to hear from more of you about the 10-day challenge. The 10-day challenge ended yesterday, and we put lots of deals in lots of brokers' pockets on getting a listing in the first 10 days. It was amazing. And putting a, an accepted offer on the table for a buyer. So two things for lots of you. Many of you did more than that. It was fantastic. I love it. I love challenges like if you are the kind of person that likes a challenge like that, you know, you can even challenge yourself. But there are lots of challenges. We're always doing some kind of a challenge. We're coming up to our next one. We'll be talking about it shortly. Don't forget to hit the like button on this video and subscribe because this hitting the subscribe button will open up the members only events. And tomorrow we have another members only event where we are taking a deep dive into the market and skill sets to grow your business. I want people there that are committed to growing their business. Hit that subscribe button and that'll open up the members only events for you. All right. So you're negotiating. You, you've got an offer on the table and now you're negotiating. What do you do? What kind of skills are out there? Now, well, here's what we know. As of January 1, love letters are out. That used to be something we could negotiate with. Now, a lot of us didn't like it, but it, it was a fact that the love letters were out there. What we mean by love letters, if you don't know, are the letters that the buyers would write to the sellers saying how much they and their family would love to live in that home. Those are illegal in Oregon now. There's other, lots of other states those are illegal in as well. Eventually, I predict it will sweep the United States and all jurisdictions pretty much will have that product illegal. NAR is backing, National Association of Realtors is backing this product to be gone because it becomes prejudicial. It becomes a problem with specialized groups. Protected classes, which Oregon has 29 protected classes. Okay, but what is on the table? Let's let's start with the easy one. Cash continues to reign king. <laughs> you know, wouldn't it be wonderful to get up someday and realize that cash is not king? But cash continues to remain king. It seems like it's funny. By the way, I'm sipping my coffee this morning, and I hope you are as well. Loving, loving the Black Rifle coffee. Love, like to know in the chat, what kind of coffee are you sipping in the morning? What, what do you love to get up and sip on? Okay, so cash continues to reign king. It's very funny because sellers tend to like cash better 
than somebody who is extremely well qualified. They still tend to feel like someone with cash can close easier. That is, that continues to be somewhat true. Because they, people with cash can waive appraisals and things that might get in the way of any other bank product. So if cash is still on the table, if the cash is possible, well, you can use that to your benefit, and we all know that. But what if there are no dollars to put on the table for cash? What do you have? Well, first, I want to talk about the negotiation skill of not using dollars. In fact, even for people with cash, I wouldn't turn to dollars first. That's not how I would close a deal and benefit my buyer the very best. I wouldn't turn to dollars first. Don't waste their money because there are other things that you can do before you turn to more dollars. So using our standard example of a $400,000 house, do you go up to 410 right away or 425 right away? You just throw more cash on the table, more, more money, whether it's cash or from a lender to the seller at the end of the day, isn't going to care because they're going to get their money. So what do you do, though, if it's not cash? Well, you can throw things on the table like a quicker closing date. Let me tell you, a fast closing date can sub be, in, be in many ways a substitute to going up in price. If you're able to close, even with a lender, if you've got your lender and the buyer really tied together closely and they have all that pre-approval stuff done and they're ready to walk in with the, with the address of the home to underwriting, you may be able to close this thing in 21 days. That's incredible. That's almost as fast as someone walking in the door with your straight cash could do. So think about that when you are needing to sweeten the deal of the negotiation. Closing dates are incredibly impactful to sellers. What you have to do is you have to put your seller's hat on. Just briefly put your seller's hat on. I know you're in, as a buyer, you're not representing the seller. That's okay. It's powerful to always look through the other lens. It's too easy to sit back and say, oh, well, they can do anything they want. Now, you know, they probably have pressures of their own. Both sides have goals. Both sides have motives. You're representing the buyer and they have a motive to get into this house and, and their motives might be because of school, being close to family, and, and, you know, getting that uh, extra bedroom for the kids. Who knows? But the seller also has motives. And if one of those motives can be met by you closing this deal faster, that's something that won't cost you any money. Also, most loan products don't make the buyer take possession for 60 days. This is another tool. 
Well, you can close fast if, and, and you've got to know your buyer, if it's possible to, and the seller needs it to give them time, and maybe you can give them time without pity, you know, PITI, principal interest taxes and insurance on a daily rate, because that's typically how we calculate daily, daily rent rates would be through pity. Not always, but it's, it is one of the typical ways to do it. If you can offer them, maybe they need 10 days to get out after getting the cash. One way to sweeten the deal is to give them 10 days or whatever time that they need up to you know a certain amount of time, of course. And just say, you know what? As part of the deal, we're going to give you some time in the home after we close. That can sweeten a deal like you can't even believe. Put that into the offer that your buyer is willing to work with them on time after close, a quick closing and a slower get out of the home. That gives people time. They might need the, the funds to close their own deal. I mean, come on, we all know this. They have goals. They're trying to do something on their side as well. That can sweeten a deal like you, you can hardly believe that can, that can actually move the, the, the pieces onto your side where you are the one now negotiating at the top rung and you may not have the top dollars on the table of the, the 10, 20 offers that are out there. Wow, you know, we are headed into such a crazy time again. Here, it's the 11th of January. We're already headed into a year where we know we're going to be having multiple offers on, on most of the homes out there. It's crazy. And having some negotiation tactics that don't cost your buyers money up front is huge. And that's what we're doing today. Okay, next, lenders. Not only is it important to have the right lender, but it can be impactful to have the lender make a phone call to the seller's agent or if they're unrepresented to the seller directly. So they're an agency of their self and talk to them about how well positioned the buyer is to close this deal. Now you're hearing from an invested third party, but nevertheless, a third party is getting to talk to them about in the benefits of your buyer. You don't think that the lender wants to close the deal? Of course, they, this is how they get paid. They get paid by closing deals. They will do this for you. They will call the other side and talk about how well positioned your buyer is. Hopefully they are well positioned, but if they are well positioned and they have everything done, they can call and say, we're going to be able to close this thing early. We're going to, this is going to go through. The buyer is well positioned. The buyer is well qualified. The buyer has the money to do it. And this is being backed up by a lender. That's, that's some power in your pocket. You've got to use some of this power in your pocket to close a deal that couldn't possibly be otherwise closed. 
or that you're in a competitive race and you are just trying to get yourself to the top rung. Let's get you up there and the negotiation starts the minute you submit an offer. It really starts even prior to that, but that's more with your with your client. It starts when you're looking at the home, but it starts in earnest in the contract piece. The minute you submit the offer, it doesn't, the, some people think, well, if they ever get back to me, I'll, I'll get to negotiate. No, the negotiation already has started because in the contingencies, you can tell this story. The love letters can't tell the story anymore about the buyers, but you can tell the financial story as the agent and the their ability to allow them time in the home after closing, if needed. So many people need this. Sellers are not prepared to get out. I, I guarantee you the reason that we don't have more more homes in the market right now, and this continues to be such a strong seller's market, is sellers don't think there's something else for them to buy. They're afraid of the market. And who wouldn't be? There's very few things on the market right now, which gives you a huge opportunity as a licensed agent to go after other things in the market for them and show your prowess and skills in the market. Okay, moving on to our negotiation, back to our negotiation skills. Repairs is the next thing. Repairs is something that every seller, let's, let's face it, every seller is in fear of. I've never met a seller. You could be looking at the most pristine house. You can be looking at a house and absolutely that you don't see anything wrong with it. They've kept it in mint condition. They've had everything done to it. And every seller is afraid of what's going to come, come about in the repair. Because let's face it, there's never a perfect house. Even when you're looking at these nice, pristine homes. Pardon me I sip my coffee. Even when you're looking at the nice, pristine homes, there's always something. I mean, you can have this sweet deal. It, the seller could be getting $20,000 over asking price, over a reasonable asking price. And they're still worried about repairs. Well, this is another opportunity for you to pre-negotiate. Now, here's where you've got to be in the head of your buyer. You've got to know your buyer. You've got to have the conversations with your buyer in advance. Now, caveat to, to negotiate to negotiating repairs before we even get in. I would never back someone saying that they're going to waive inspections. Well, the, how you use the inspection is different. I wouldn't back someone saying they're going to waive inspections. You need to know about the house you're buying. And what better way than to know about it than a solid inspection of the home, the structure, the property. And the myriad of inspections that can come along with it. 
This puts you in a power position. But what you can do is limit the exposure of the seller up front by saying something like, we will not ask for more than $2,000 in repairs, $5,000 in repairs. We will only ask for small repairs. You can word it craftily, of course, but you can limit the exposure. Thereby, that tells the seller, well, I'm never going to be out a lot of money. And this, they're not going to ask for a lot. Now, that does not stop you from walking away from the table. Negotiation is still on the table because you can walk away. And at point, if it's more than your amount you stated or if you, you said something else like small, so you're being nebulous about it, and you're simply walking away, that's certainly in your power. But it also allows the other side to say, wait, don't walk away. What can I do for you? So negotiation is still on the table. You're keeping it squarely on the table where it needs to be. The arm's length handshake across the table is the negoti perfect negotiation. And that's what you want is an arm's length negotiated contract that you had the skills to negotiate for your buyer. And these are some hot tools to put it in their pot. So it's all cooked up just for the buyer. It's the other side's problem to, to make sure it's cooked up for their, their side as well. We're not trying to run roughshod over them. These are just great skill sets to have. When money is no longer on the table, you have to talk about non-money items. When you can bring a lender in and a lender can make a phone call for your buyer, you got to bring the lender in, which we do all the time. It's powerful. We've had, we've had the lender win the deal for us on many, many occasions. It absolutely happens. When it comes to repairs, well, this is a deep conversation. This is knowing your buyer. Does your buyer have skills to repair things? Are When you get that inspection back, are the repairs suggested for the home so, very small? They're not structural. They're not part of the heating systems, the roof, the foundation, you know, the core systems to any home. They're small things, patchwork things, things on carpets, things like this, things that a homeowner very well may be able to patch together themselves. Well, that's huge. That brings it to a point that you can negotiate that really, really well. Okay. Next, I want to talk about keeping the negotiation at the table. By at the table, what I mean is you want to be the last one whenever possible with your hand across the table trying to make a deal. Don't be the one simply going away. That's always an option. I'm surprised at people that are willing to walk away so early in a negotiation. Oh, 
it's always an option for you simply to walk away as the buyer. Even if it means losing your earnest money, it's always an option to simply just walk away before signing the final documents. But before you walk away, make offers. Compel the other side to come to the table with you to talk about the problems. Always be the last party trying to pull the deal together. There is power in pulling the, trying to pull the deal together. The other side often will eventually cave and say, let's make a deal. We need to get this done. Particularly if you are well into the process. So you're not two days in, you're now three weeks in, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks into to the deal. And there are some problems with closing it. Instead of just walking away, invite them back to the negotiation table and put out in front of you the problems that need to be overcome and see what can be done and I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. You want to be the one saying, let's make a deal and close this for our buyer and seller so they can move on with their goals and their lives. Let's make this happen. Let's go back with some kind of an opportunity for them. Otherwise, you're starting from scratch. You're starting all over again. And if you have to, well, that's always an option. You always can do that. These are some hot opportunities for you, though, to show your prowess, your knowledge, your ability, and skill sets of negotiation are, in, are being shown right in front of your client at that moment. Let me tell you, you, you want to you make a big difference in people's lives? You want to make a big difference in how people feel about your ability to, to negotiate something? Understand their motives deeply, a deep dive into their motives, and then negotiate with that in mind at the table and show how you are pushing as if you were a family member. You will not be forgotten, I promise you. You won't be forgotten. Because all of a sudden, they realize they've got somebody fighting for them. You know, we all want somebody to fight for us. When it comes to negotiation, just like when I, when I had my law practice, that people want someone to fight for them. That's why they go to attorneys. This is also why they go to agents. They want somebody to help them through this difficult process. They don't want someone that's going to make it more difficult. They want someone that's going to make it easier and show that you're fighting for them. Well, get a little passion about yourself and show the fight. Show that you're taking it to the table. Show you're not giving up. 
show that you are laying willing to lay down right there and do the fight right in front right in front of them to the other side. You're willing to say the hard things, but reasonable negotiation concepts to pull the deal together and close it for the parties. I'll tell you the, the, the agents out there that do this on the other side with me, I am so impressed. I want to work with them again, again and again and again, because they close a deal. I had an agent a few years ago tell me that once a deal is signed, I was so impressed with this. So I want to get this right. He said, once a deal is signed, he said, my job is to make sure that it closes. No longer am I trying to be competitive against each other. No longer am I trying to only work for my client. I'm trying to make sure the deal comes together. Remembering that my client certainly has motives and yours has different ones. It always made sense to me. After he said that to me, we had a nice conversation about it. We were, we were in the midst of an extraordinarily difficult negotiation. It was just really, really difficult. <laughs> you know how some of them, some negotiations, you wonder, wow, if I'm if I'm going to be paid by hour on this, I'm not making money anymore. I've got a lot of time on this negotiation. But when you're done, there can be a lot of learning that comes out of that. And realizing once you have a signed offer in hand, it's better for everybody to hold it together if at all possible. Because bringing in a brand new party in or finding a new home for your buyer can be just that much more difficult yet again. And of course, you can lose the confidence of your client. That can't be the goal. That isn't the goal to lose the confidence of your buyer. In fact, the goal in negotiation skills is to showcase your buyer and seller exactly your ability to fight for them reasonably, ethically, and morally within the bounds and yet keep the deal on the table that's good for your side. And good for your side implies it's going to be good for the other side as well. That's how you do it. You don't always fight with cash because... Eventually, for the 99% of the population, eventually cash runs out. So we have to have other ways to fight. We have to have other ways to negotiate in this business. And there are lots of other negotiation tactics. When someone comes to me and says that they only have you know X amount of money and it's barely going to make a down payment, but they, but they have a decent credit score, you know, above a 720 nowadays. You don't have to be in the 800s for sure. And they're qualified for the $400,000 house, but they only have barely enough for the down. Well, what are we going to do about all the other fees? Well, we're not going to look for a $400,000 house. We're going to look for something they can negotiate with and roll their closing costs into. So we're going to prepare our buyer in advance 
of what they're looking for so they can be competitive with the house they're going for, knowing that they're still going to want to push the market. Everybody wants to push the market as far as they can. That's okay. That's part of the game, you guys. That's how why we love real estate. It's about a win-win-win. Helping a family get into the home of their dreams for them, their family, their friends, their children. Which usually means they're pushing the financial paradigm all the way up to, to the bitter end. That's okay. You've got to be okay with that to win in this business. Which also means at the end of the day, you're going to be negotiating things that are non-financial, non-cash. Things like allowing the other side to be in the home for a few days after closing can be amazingly impactful for people to be able to close a deal and they can still be in the home. I'm not saying to use that one, but it is certainly something that you need to have as a tool on your tool belt that you can whip out and say, wow, we can do this. Have you thought of this? Remember, you're the professional. You're the one that has, has heard of these things, studied these things, and know them. Not Usually not your buyer or seller. If you're on the seller side, all these things also apply. I just happen to be using the buyer side right now. But on the seller side, all of these things apply, of course, because you can offer it in an addendum to the contract going the opposite direction to, to make the deal happen. It does not have to happen from the buyer's side. It absolutely can happen and often happens either in a counter offer or in a continued negotiation after the contract is on the table and you are further defining the relationship to get you to closing. And my goal is to build your business, keep deals on the table, and get you to closing and the check in your hand. I'm your real estate guru. This is Real Estate Daily, where we coach to get a bigger business for you every single day. We'll be talking soon. Take care, guys.